Welcome to The Real Deal Podcast, where we talk to Indiana music professionals about their careers who have been very successful, or as we call them, The Real Deal. My name is Rick Granlund. I'm the Director of Bands and Performing Arts Department Chair at North Central High School in Indianapolis, Indiana. Today we welcome Mr. Dan Bowen, Emeritus Professor of Music at the Jordan College of the Arts, Butler University. All right, so hi Dan, how are you today? Good, good to see you Rick. Been a while. Been a while, yeah. So we're here in the Schrott Center lobby of all places, which is great. Yeah. And I appreciate you helping us get in here. Break in. Break in, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, this has been fun for me to do all these. And we, we format these interviews like a basketball game, since we're here in Indiana. Kind of appropriate, we're down the street from Hinkle. So, yeah. um, so we break it up into four quarters. Okay. And uh, we kind of go through your career and your growing up and things like that. So um, it's been... Um, Fun looking over the questions for you, knowing a little bit about you and talking to you before. I, I had a little bit of a insight on some special things you've done, and I, we're hopefully we'll be able to work those in here. So, you ready to go? Yep. All right. So first quarter. Um, growing up, where'd you grow up? Grew up in Indianapolis, inner city. Started playing the trumpet in the fifth grade. The school had an old trumpet that was beat up, practically held together with tape. Uh, and I played the trumpet for two years. Then I went to Harry E. Wood, which was both a junior high and high school. And my band director decided that I should play the tuba, probably because he needed a tuba player. Sounds like a familiar And for some story. reason, uh, I picked up the tuba and immediately it, it just was part of me. I played tuba all four years as the tubist in the Indiana All-State Orchestra. Played principal tuba in the Indiana All-State Band with Dr. Ravelli. Uh, and I had a, even though it was an inner city high school, the Indianapolis public schools back in those days had uh, every one of the band programs was decent. Uh, where I went was the, the it was an inner city school, so the band program wasn't great. But we had some good kids that mm -hmm. played in the group, and we had a really special band director. Um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh. Well, before we go to your high school director, okay. when, when you started back in fifth grade, was that like in an elementary setting where they had a like? Yeah, room? in fact, it was. Uh, this was an old elementary school. Indianapolis had uh, neighborhood elementaries back in those days. School thirteen, and I could walk out my back door of, of my house and into the back door of the school, okay. and the instrument. The instrumental music teacher, his name was Bill Stubblefield. He played in the Indianapolis Symphony. And back in those days, the symphony was not a full-time job. So a lot of the symphony musicians also did some teaching around. Uh, and I remember the lessons were uh, in the old boiler room building. Okay. And so it was just kind of, uh, it was out from the little school itself. Uh, hmm. But it was, you know... It, and I immediately fell in love with, with having something in my hand. Yeah. So was it like band once or twice a week kind of thing? 
guessing? Uh, it was, I think, two times a week, and it really wasn't a band as such. It was, it was more a small group lesson, mm-hmm. like maybe two or three trumpet players or something like that. Yeah. Um, the and, and and the other part of my background was my father was very musical also. How was that? How was he musical? My father uh, was in the United States Navy in World War II, and he was stationed in New York City. And one of the things he volunteered to do was play the piano at the Navy Pier as the soldiers were boarding the ships to go to Europe for the war. And he did that uh, during his career in the Navy, but he had taken piano lessons as a kid. We had an old Story and Clark upright piano that was also uh, one of these player pianos, but the mechanism didn't work. But my father worked in a factory and he would come home from the factory every night and sit down and play the piano to relax. And he was mostly played by ear. He could read music, but uh, he was not one of these persons that played by ear and just played one, four, five chords. I mean, he really could play the piano quite well. And if you needed to have something played in a different key, you'd just tell him and he'd take it and change the key. (laughs) And I wish all my life that I'd had that talent. That's a special memory. Yep. And so was, did he grow up in Indianapolis as well? And, and uh, he, was at, he was born in Kentucky and in his family, and my mother was born in Kentucky too, but, but uh, he moved, his family moved to Indianapolis because that's where the work was. Yeah. Uh, and then my mother moved to Indianapolis because she had relatives here and they met each other here in Indianapolis. And, and the band director that you had in fifth grade, this Stubblefield, I think yeah. you said, what, what did he play in, in Indianapolis Symphony? Do you remember? I don't remember. I think horn. Horn. And so he did that as a kind of a part-time job yeah. to go along with the symphony. And so then Wood was a, was a grade 6 through 12, you said, or 7 through – Wood High School? Was 7 through 12. 7 grade. through 12. Yeah. And the, who was your director there? His name was Elwin Britton. Everybody called him Limey because Limey was a nickname given to British sailors. And his father was born in Britain. He was a British military bandmaster in World War I. Came to Indiana and started the band in Crown Point, Indiana, when Ravelli was starting the band in Hobart. So my high school band director played trumpet in the Hobart band. He also played trumpet in the first two World Youth Symphonies at Interlochen. Wow, so his dad was a band director, then he was, of course, growing yep. up in that. So, wow, that's quite a interesting. So he was in Ravelli's band. Yep. Wow. And so... Um, that's how I got to know Ravelli. Yeah. And so then he ended up in Indianapolis public schools teaching and... He... And, uh, he uh, his first job was at New Carlisle, Indiana. He went to Valparaiso University. Then he was the band director at Hartford City. Okay. Uh, well before yeah. Bill Fred. And uh, then he came to Indianapolis Manual. And 
at the time they were building a new high school, a new manual, and where Harry Wood was had been manual high school. Well, when they opened the new high school, he ended up staying at Wood, and Bill Clilo became band director at Manual High School. He was Don Hoffman's band director. Okay. And Wood High School, does that building still exist? Is that still? It still exists, but it hasn't been a school since 1978. Okay. Do you know what it is now? Uh, Purdue actually had something in there for a while. It became an insurance company. It's been remodeled. Lily owned it for a while. Oh. Uh, Where is it at? What's the street? Or? It's, it is on Meridian Street, five blocks south of Monument Circle. It is the most inner city high school maybe in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so your director was really talented. And, yep. I, and what are your memories of high school and him? I, I could, what I remember most is that he taught me and I'm sure other students an appreciation of good music and how to make music, how to make a musical line. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite pieces is because I can remember Back in those days, Indianapolis public schools had their own music camp. And uh, every summer we'd go up to Camp Crosley up in northern Indiana, up, up like seven or eight busloads of IPS kids would go up there for the you know, All-City High School Band Orchestra and Junior High Band and Orchestra. And I remember every night he would go out on the lake on the pier and get out his cornet and play music to get everybody settled down to go to to go to sleep and the one piece that he would play that i just dearly love is chopin's nocturne in e flat and he talked taught us you know about rubato and all those sort of things and it just you know he taught us about music not just notes wow any special performances you remember or tri trips other than the, the summer camp? Or? Not so much with the Wood group. I remember uh, performances. Well, I can, I, I can remember the Indianapolis downtown used to sponsor what they called Band Recognition Day. And all the high school bands in the Indianapolis public school system, not the county high schools, the township bands, but all those bands and the uh, parochial school bands. Cathedral was the big parochial school band back in those days. Uh, would On a Saturday morning in May, we would go down and each band would be featured on a number and we'd play a couple of numbers all together, and they would bring in guest conductors, such as Meredith Wilson, uh, Paul Laval. I don't know if you know the name Paul Laval or not. He was director of the City Service Band of America, which was a famous professional band that, in the early days of television, it gave a little 15-minute concert before the news. Hmm. Um, and he was, you know, well known. And then, and they they would bring in famous Leonard B. Smith from the Detroit Concert Band, who had been uh, Goldman's 
principal cornet player and people like that to huh. to direct. And did you were you down like on Monument Circle playing or how? Yeah, where were you at? yeah, on wow. the circle. Hmm. So I remember that. The other thing I remember most was probably playing in the Indiana All State Orchestra. Uh, yeah, getting to do it four years was pretty cool. Yeah, and, we, and and they'd bring in various conductors for that, and we'd always finish with the and and they played for the Indiana State Teachers Convention. It was held in Cadle Tabernacle, and that was a huge building downtown Indianapolis. Had ten thousand seats in it, and they would bring in guest speakers like. Eleanor Roosevelt and people like that to talk to the teachers, and and they'd finish up with this concert with the All State Orchestra and the All State Chorus. Uh, it wasn't tied to Indiana music educators at the time, and we'd always end up with uh, Wilkowski's Battle Hymn of the Republic. <laughs> that tabernacle is that gone? I assume. Oh yeah, it's been torn down years ago. Where was that located, do you recall? I can't remember exactly, but it was downtown, like yeah. on Georgia Street or something. Yeah. Huge building, I remember. Yeah. Was that? Huge building. Oh, yeah. Wow. Massive. Huh. And so at what point in time, like through your growing up at, at Wood, did you um, decide maybe being a band director was your thing? Seventh grade. Seventh grade. So you I didn't consider other things. That was, that was it. I, I, I can remember... I was in the car with my band director, and we were going to uh, All City Junior High School band rehearsal at Arlington High School. And I said to him, I'm going to be a band director. <laughs> I'm sure he was supportive. <laughs> wow. Well, you remember exactly where you were. That's, yep. that's pretty cool. And so when it came time to look at colleges, did you do a, a big search or did you find Butler quickly? How, how did that all work? I had known Dr. Henzey. He had conducted the All City High School Band. In fact, I, I mean, this is a fluke. During, during high school, I played in the University of Indianapolis Band because they needed a tuba player, and they had a brand new Marifone tuba. So is that called the normal, what was the name of that college? The Indiana Central? Was it, called it was Indiana Central College, yeah. then Indiana Central University, yeah, yeah, yeah. then University of Indianapolis. And I played in, the, in their band when I was in high school. I would think I was the only high school kid. Uh, Not too far from where you lived, for no. sure. Yeah. And, and, and it was nice, and, you know, we'd play... A little higher, we'd play higher quality music, and um, so that was a good experience. And of course, they naturally expected that I was going to go there <laughs> uh, because they furnished this nice tuba for me for three years, and I'd played in the band three years. But uh, I wanted to go to a program that I thought was would be a better program. And back in those days, Butler had like a 150-piece marching band. Mm -hmm. I mean, because back in those days, tuition was $1,200. If you were in the marching band and the basketball band, you got $100 each semester. So that was $200 off your tuition. And your eighth semester was free. 
oh if you'd been in all. Needless <laughs> to say, that doesn't happen anymore. But that was why one of the reasons the band was so so large, and the uh, concert band had a good reputation. Nilo Hovey in the in the forties and fifties had been the band director, and here, and he was a legend, president of American Bandmasters. He was the educational director for the Selmer Corporation. So, you know, this was one of the one of the places to go, and. What happened, I didn't even know anything. I didn't know anything. I didn't have any really good guidance advice. Uh, I, my high school choir director, who'd been my accompanist when I would go to state solo ensemble contest, uh, said, what have you done about going to college? I said, I don't know. And so somebody got on the phone and found out auditions were at Butler the last auditions for the year were at Butler that Saturday. <laughs> so I came out to Butler and played, and they gave me a three-quarter tuition scholarship, so that was $900. I had $200 from the marching band. I got another $200 a year for being the orchestra manager, which meant I set up the chairs for the orchestra rehearsals. I got another $200 a year for being the band librarian, so I was... I went to college for free, plus extra money. And then uh, during those years, there was a federal government program that they paid college kids to go give private lessons in the public schools. So I made money doing that. Well, so your your search was quick, but you yeah, I, there was no search. <laughs> it was like I'm going to go to Butler, and it worked out really well for me yeah and so you know Butler was well known certainly and you had some great teachers here who were the teachers you really felt like had the biggest impact on your college time well Dr. Hensey was a legend he was one of the guys maybe the guy in Indy in Indiana that decided where band directors were gonna go it was like you need to take this job you need to take this job and he'd get on the phone and call this job's open boom and he ran the smith wall bridge band camp which was you know yeah i met a lot of people at the smith wall bridge i worked there for 10 years i met mark hinesley i met uh harry Beejan. got to know him did you ever go there as a kid? Nope. No. Wait till I went, uh, my first experience was there. I was on the staff the summer of my junior year here at Butler. Okay. And of course, the other person, uh, John Colbert, uh, and Mike LaCrone was here as the marching band director, and he's a legend. He was the marching band director at the University of Wisconsin for 50 years. He just retired two years ago. My wife was just reading something and mentioned it to me because she knew we were going to talk that evidently he played basketball. He came with, here on a basketball scholarship. Yeah, and with uh, Plump. Bobby from Plump. The, from the, the Great yep. Hoosiers thing. Yeah. So he played basketball and was a music major. and Yep. Yeah. 
When you came to Butler, it was already it already moved to this location, correct? Yeah, it moved here in '63, I think, is when Clues and Lily Hall opened, and I came in '66. Okay, so it was all still very new and nice. Yeah, yeah. And so those directors were really hugely influential in your in your life um, for many years. It sounds like. As far as like performances when you were here, do you, does any specific thing come to mind as a cool trips or events or conduct guests guests who came in or? Well, we had a gentleman named Frank Cooper who was a music history teacher started what was called the Romantic Festival, and it went on for many years and it became very famous. We even had the critics from the New York Times come out to see what was going on and we'd bring in famous pianists, famous guest artists. One of the ones I remember the most was a pianist named Raymond Lewenthal and he was a giant of a pianist. Um, I still have recordings of him and he was a master of romantic era music, little known romantic era music. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I can remember his performances, but I'll tell you the performance I remember the most is a person who thought so highly of this that they volunteered on their own to come here, Victor Borga. <laughs> wow. And he performed with the Butler Symphony. Uh, and he, the year I graduated, he was given honorary doctorate from Butler. But then, you know, and he was this famous, uh, I wouldn't call him a concert pianist, but he had trained as a concert pianist. Of course, he made a, a whole career out of doing all these strange things with, with the piano, but he could also sit down and play beautifully. But yeah, Victor Borges, so I would have to say that's a concert I would remember. Uh-huh. Uh, so when you were finishing up here and it came to student teaching, um, where did your student teach? A student taught at Manuel High School with Bill Clyla. And in, in those days, he was one of the, probably the legends of that period of time were him, George Vaught, um, trying to think, uh, Carol Copeland. Calvert, oh, maybe. What's that? Maybe Jim Calvert. Well, same, yeah, but Jim way. wasn't doing high school. Oh, okay, yeah. He he'd already gone to uh, up to Northview. Gotcha. Uh, he was he was quite the high school band director when he was at Shortridge. Uh-huh. Uh, pe- people don't realize how good the Shortridge band was at one time. It was, I mean, because Shortridge was rated as one of the top five high schools in the country. And even before Jim Calvert, there was a fellow there. I can't think of his name. He became the but he became the principal, and the Short Ridge Band used to tour all over the country. Uh, well, this is kind of a good time to talk a little bit about IPS, actually, before we go into some other things. Okay. Um, we've. I know you had some time in IPS. We'll talk about your yeah. teaching here in a minute, but I think a lot of people don't realize the the incredible program you mentioned summer camps that ips ran and um all city bands you mentioned i'll say junior high band when you were talking about remembering when you decided you want to be a band director but um 
as an IPS kid growing up, like what, what are the things can you think of that people just may not realize about the program? In those days, probably the very best music program in the state was the Indianapolis Public Schools. There were instrumental music in all the schools. They had their own instrument repair facilities. Uh, they had what was called the Lending Library. So every high school had their own music library, but then there was this Lending Library where they'd buy like every new piece printed. And you could go check it out of the Lending Library to try with your group. And uh, they, they had a vocal music supervisor, Ed Emery. They had a instrumental music supervisor, Owen Beckley. His son became orchestra director at, I wanna say, Tech or Howe, but then he ended up at Warren Central. Uh, then they had, uh, uh, underneath the music supervisor, they had consultants. And Walter Shaw was the instrumental music consultant, and he was awesome. He had been the orchestra director of tech uh, at one point, and he, I mean, he knew his stuff. I don't even remember how many high schools there were. There were 11. 11 high schools. 11 high schools, and they were all, you know, Arlington High School that, at that time had five bands. Uh, and Doc Severinsen would come and play a concert there every year, and the Air Force Band. I mean... So that's Arlington. You already mentioned Short Ridge. Yes, Short Ridge. Yeah, 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 let's see. It was Marshall, Arlington, Broad Ripple, Short Ridge, Northwest, Washington, Tech, Wood, Crispus Attucks, Howe, and Manuel. Good memory. <laughs> wow. And they all had programs that were They all had, they all had well. respectable programs, and some of them had really good programs. Yeah. And so as a kid growing up, you had a lot of people to look up to and a lot of great resources, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, I would, I would hope that Don Hoffman would have told you the same thing. He, he, he did. He had a great time growing up here. Yeah, yeah, and he had, well. and I was very close to Bill Clyla, who was his band director. And so when you were at Butler, I'm sure you were one of many student teachers that went right into IPS to student teach. And so you're with Kalila at Manual. And what was your student teaching like? I can, I can remember my, from the College of Education, Dick Geyer was my supervisor. He had been principal at Franklin Central High School. And he was such a great man, uh, great administrator, great everything. Uh, and one of, the, one of the neat things I got to do when I student taught with, with Bill Clyde, they had quite a marching band power at Manual. He was on the 500 Festival Selection Committee and all kinds of stuff. I mean, he was one of the, as I said, one of the four or five top band directors in the state of Indiana. And I'm sure Don would tell you the same thing. Uh, but I wrote all the arrangements that year for 
their competition show. And then every year, the seniors, uh, for the very last game, put on their own show. And so the seniors had me write the music and the drill for their show. So I got to teach this show to the kids, which you don't get that kind of experience when you're student teaching, typically. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and the theme of the show was... Uh, they had done some, it was based on the Broadway musicals that they had done recently. And the theme was My Boy Bill because of Bill Clyla. And so we, I pulled uh, music from these various musicals that had the theme of, that had the name Bill in it, like okay. from Carousel and, yeah. and so on and <laughs> so forth. Wow. So as we wrap up this part of the interview, you two different people you mentioned. So Kalila, um, when did he retire and did you keep in touch with him? As he you... retired in 1972 and I took over. My okay. band director would retired in 1970 and I took over his job. Well, those are the two, that's the other one I was going to ask you about. Did you keep in touch with both those guys for the rest of their I stay, time? I was in touch with both of them until they passed away. Well, that's a great first quarter there, Dr. Bowen. So second quarter is your, your teaching band um, career. Um, so you, you started at Wood, where you had grown up. And so what was that like going back, going back home? What it was like is all of a sudden these people who had been my teachers were now colleagues, which was a little different. But... I, some, a few of them are still alive, and I keep in contact with them. Uh, one of those in a, my high school U.S. history teacher, I think a lot of, uh, is in a assisted living place, so he, I can't visit him right now. But, uh, yeah, it was a, a little strange going back, but uh, I was accepted. What was Wood the, was... What was the program like? Uh, I, I felt like that I energized it. Uh, my high school band director was getting tired and uh, I brought in some new ideas and uh, we, we got new band uniforms the second year I was there. Eli Lilly helped pay for the cost of the new band uniforms, which was nice. And our for, first performance was the 500 Festival Parade in the new band uniforms. And the band during those two years grew somewhat. Um, so. What was your first year? First year, what was the date of your first year there? 1970. 70. And so you were there for two years? Yep. And then um, moved on to manual? Yep. And how did that go? What was that like for you? Uh, did did Wood close or was it still open? No, it was still open. It was still open. Yeah, then another gentleman followed me and he was there for six years and then it closed. Gotcha. Uh, going to manual, I did orchestra and I was year I brought in the University of Michigan's symphony band to do a concert. How did that work out? How did you set that up? Uh, 
somebody going on tour. And George Cavender was the director of uh, tried to be like Ravelli without having Ravelli's abilities. And he was not a success. He was the director for three years. And he'd been the marching band or the assistant director for forever. Uh, gotcha. But and then Bob Reynolds followed him. But anyway, the second year I was a head band director and the manual band had gotten first divisions every year at, at, and won the grand sweepstakes, which was like the state marching championship uh -huh. several times. Uh, and I became the band director and we had, a, I thought the best show I ever wrote. We got a second division because that day we did a really hard marching show. It was a Southport High School. They had just resodded the field and it had stormed and stormed and stormed. I had, we, we had, it was a Western show and the, the uh, girls group was dressed up in these outfits, the Indian outfits were made and they, well, they had moccasins. They were marching out of the moccasins the kids were slipping and sliding. Huh. Ray Kramer gave us a first. <laughs> so not your... But the kids, the, the kids gutted it up and they were okay with it. And looked at the video and in fact, I had him guest conduct the band that fall or that spring, I guess, concert. And he thought we was... Yeah. So were you a manual for how long? Just, I was just there two years. So two and then two. What, how did, what made you look outside of IPS? You'd been in there. I knew Joe Hobbush, who was the junior high band director and Busing had just started within the Indianapolis school system, and I could see that things were going to change, mm -hmm. which they did, and they changed rapidly and basically destroyed the school system. The, and I remember my high school band director, one of the things he said to me, he said, the best job to have is in a one high school town because everyone support you there as opposed to having and it was true i mean when we'd give a concert we'd have a full house when there there would be an article in the lebanon newspaper about the band umpteen times a year pictures of the band at the football games and reviews about the concerts and so it was there was something really nice about that uh, how, Joe, long, how long were you in Lebanon? Three years. Three years. Joe Hobbush talked me into going there, and it was the right decision. I can still remember crying, though, in, in front of the kids at Manuel when I told them I was leaving. But Lebanon High School, the band at that point had never received a first division rating ever in anything. 
eight weeks later, I guess it was maybe nine or 10 weeks later, we placed sixth in the state marching contest. And by the third year, I took three bands to concert band contests, and all three of them received superior ratings. Uh, and the, the top band was, well, Matt Herod was the principal clarinet player. Mm -hmm. Wow. So throughout the first portion of your teaching career, yep. that was when you had to do your master's in a certain amount of time. Um, how did you work all that in to get all that done? Well, back there, back then, the music, our master's degrees were required if you basically, um, if you were going to stay in teaching. Plus, there was a, you got a big bump in the salary. Uh, and the universe, I got it at Butler, the university had summer programs. You would take, I'd like to take several workshops in the summer mm -hmm. and take evening courses and took, took five years, but. And so there was some music in there in the summer workshops and things oh, yeah. like that. Yeah. That's a lot cool. of, there was a lot of music head course work. That's great. All right, so this is halftime now. Um, for halftime, it's been a time where we actually talk about some pieces of music. Um, I know you have a lot of favorites, I'm sure. Um, but are there just a couple pieces that come to mind if I just could ask that you really feel are really truly special to you or you have wonderful memories of a certain sure. performance? Or Number one would be the Universal Judgment. It was a piece... And it was one of John Colbert, who was my college or, uh, symphonic band director here at Butler. Uh, it was a piece that was actually, it sounds like an orchestral transcription, uh, but it was actually written for wind band by Camille Dinardi. Uh, so that's one of my favorites. I love the euphonium solo in it. Uh, the Mendelssohn Overture for Band mm -hmm. is right up there. I did that uh, at Southport, and I did Universal, Universal Judgment both at Lebanon and Southport. Um, I mean, you can't go wrong with the whole suites. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't go wrong with Granger. Uh, I mean, if you really want to teach about a musical line and doing something with music, you can't go wrong with uh, Irish tune from County Derry. Right. Uh, I tend to be old fashioned because I grew up with old fashioned music. I'm not real big on music that is based more on rhythm than on a musical line. Yeah. Could I ask you about the piece you had written for your mom with Julie? It's a beautiful piece. Yep. Have you gotten to, I got to hear the premiere. Yep. And I didn't know if you, have you gotten to do it again or have you heard it again or? I was supposed to do it in September down in Melbourne, Florida with the Melbourne Municipal Band, but that's not going to happen because of the COVID-19. Since. Yeah. Because, you know, I was getting to the end of my career here with the. came in and 
surprised me that way. Yeah, quite a gift. Yeah, and it wasn't too bad. <laughs> That's true. That's true. All right, well, those are some great pieces. So third quarter, um, Southport. So you came back, not quite to Indianapolis, but basically Indianapolis. Yep. And Southside, which is kind of where you were from. And the interesting thing is my whole career, I knew I wanted to be the band director at Southport. And how long were you the, were the band director at Southport? Uh, six years. Six years. And so what are some of your favorite accomplishments at Southport? Well, we were invited twice to play here at Clues Hall at Butler. They did an honored band program mm -hmm. every year. We played for the Indiana Music Educators State Conference. We played for the American School Band Directors Association National Conference. Uh, and there were people in attendance there like Nilo Hovey and Bill Rovelli and, uh, you know, I mean, it was, it was a it was a big deal. We were actually the feature the featured band at that conference, so that was a nice thing. Yeah. So you really enjoyed your time with the Southport that, band. That that band, I, the the performance I remember the most is well two, the most the best performance I, I can ever remember is we played at the at Greenwood High School for the ISMA uh, auditions. And we did the William Tell Overture, which you know is really challenging. Yes. But I had the horses that could do bassoon, oboe, English horn, flute. Frank Glover was my principal clarinet player. Uh, my tempest went on to Eastman as professional percussionist over in Germany. And I mean, horn player went to Cincinnati Conservatory. And so they could play it. Perfect scores from all the judges back then. It was a seven point. Yeah. Seven, seven, seven. The judges stood up and applauded when we finished. I've never seen that happen before. So I remember that. And the second one I remember is at the American School Band Directors Association. We did box, Takata, and Fugue in D, which is another one of those grade six pieces. Yeah. Those are some great memories. Uh, I want to also ask you about your time with the Nisbova-Isma um, merger. Yep. I was on the board of Isma. There were eight of us who were on the merger committee. I was a secretary, so I'm the one who actually ended up typing the first documents and getting them printed. And, and the merger of that. Some of the guys on the committee didn't think we, we could ever get this together, but I was tended to be a, one of the more optimistic people feeling like, yeah, we can do this. Let's take the best of both worlds and put them together, you know. Uh, let's say it's solo ensemble contest. You don't have to, to play from memory anymore. Up in, Niz, up in Nisbova, they didn't have to play from memory. In Isma, they had to play from memory. And, you know, there was little 
things like that. And uh, it took several months to get it put together. I was also, at that time, I was uh, running the state festivals, the state marching contest and the state solo ensemble contest because that was like a little separate organization for two times a year the groups would come together. Okay, yeah. And it was called the Indiana All-State Music Festival Association or something like that. And so I was, I ran all that. Uh, a lot of people thought I'd be the first person to run ISMA, ISSMA, but didn't work out. Um, but we had some really good people on that from Indiana State's Indiana School Music Association. It was me, Bernie Weimer, who was at Roncalli, John Wilson, and Don Hoffman. I'm trying to think who was from Nisbova. Uh, John Miller from Valparaiso. Bill Fred. Bill Fred. Carl Nicholas, who was a choir director at Fort Wayne Snyder. And, oh, uh, Terry, Terry, if he was a Lewis cast. Oh, Terry Collins. Terry Collins. Yeah. Yep. That was it. Well, so you guys got it all put together and hashed it all out. Yep. And so the first year it was combined. Did, you, did it seem to go fairly well right away? Yeah. I think it went, I think it went uh, well right away, you know. And, of course, it gets tweaked all the time because somebody doesn't like this rule or they think somebody's getting an advantage of that. And, mm -hmm. but, but in general, I think, I mean, it's, it's held up. Uh, I worry about all these music organizations and what's going to happen if they do, if their marching contests don't take place because that's how they exist basically from the money from marching. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a great to hear that story. Um, so, Butler, I know you did some other things at Southport with an administration and did lots of things, um, but when you finally came back to Butler. You did two stints as director and all sorts of faculty that came in. And I don't know if there's any way to really put all that in one interview, but any highlights or things you're most proud of from your time back at Butler? Well, one of the things I'm proud of is this building because I was very much involved in, in the design and finding errors that were built into the design. For example, the orchestra pit when they first build it. I'm, I came over here on a tour as they were building the building. I could immediately see that the orchestra pit was too low for anyone on the stage to see the conductor. And so we got with the Winger Corporation and had some risers built special for the orchestra pit so that they're like reverse risers. The people closest are higher and, 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 and then they go down so that it'll go under the pit. So that was one of the things, but probably the things that I am most proud of is I would like to think that I was helpful in providing the students with a good educational process and helping to recruit really good students, but also recruiting really good faculty members because Probably the majority of, of the faculty here I hired. 
uh, and recommend remake it recommended for their hiring. I mean, I there were committees that were involved, but I had basically the final recommendation. And there uh, there may have been a couple times I disagreed with the committee, but I also tried to help guide the committee. When I first came, I had some problems with some of the faculty members. Uh, they eventually got resolved, but I will say the second time that I was chair or director of the School of Music was much easier because they had gone through three people in like seven years. Yeah. And they found out that I wasn't so bad after all. But, and so uh, one of the senior faculty members said to me, it's like dad's come home. <laughs> so it was, it was a little rough the first time around, uh, but I think we got a lot of things accomplished. And the second time around, I think we got more accomplished and it was a lot easier. And I think I was appreciated a lot more. So the Great Lake Music Camp. Yep. That's a huge part of your life. 23 years. 23 years. And I, I know that I've talked to you before and, and in some other interviews that's come up with like John T. Wilson, that you guys all were a part of the Purdue Music Camp at one point. I was only at the Purdue Camp one year. One year, okay. I, um, I was with the well, Indianapolis Public Schools uh, when I was teaching in Indianapolis, I worked at their camp, and then I was at Smith Walbridge for 10 years. 10 years. So I had a camp background, and I'd gone to IPS camp for years, so, you know, I'd been involved with camp since 1962. Uh, and I did one year at Purdue, and I was, uh, became friends with Jack Kelly, who was the middle school band director at in Valparaiso, had a tremendous, tremendous junior high band program. Uh, and uh, I said, Jack, I've always wanted to start a, a band camp. I said, I think we can do it better than it's being done. And so the very first year, we were counting on having 175, we thought we'd be really, to have 175, that'd be great. We had 450 students the first year and we didn't have a big enough staff to take care of them. <laughs> uh, and that was at Valparaiso? It was at Valparaiso, at, at the university in, in Valparaiso. And Joe Hobbush brought a hundred kids from Lebanon to the camp. <laughs> and he was our, he was going to be our, well, he was the activities director because he had a, had a falling out with the people at Smith Walbridge at the time. And uh, I, <laughs> within the very first hour, we had this thing called the Earth Ball. And within the very first hour, one of the kids broke his arm <laughs> and Joe's out there supervising the, the earth ball. But, uh, you know, it just grew and grew to the point where, where we had two camps at Valparaiso, a camp at Butler, a uh, 
one uh, camp over in Ohio. A couple of years we had camps out of uh, Kansas State University. Uh, we we were and then we'd take a group on a on a trip, you know, to Canada or Washington D.C. or Florida or Colorado, and so we were having over fifteen hundred kids a summer. So it was quite the thing. Um, eventually, and and. The great thing was the staff. We had some of the very best band and choir and orchestra people, because we added choir and orchestra. I guess we had orchestra the first year because Bob Klotman from IU was the orchestra director. Uh, but we, it became like a family. I mean, all the, the members of the staff to this day regret that we still don't get together. We even got to the point where we'd have a reading band at the Indiana Music Educator, the Indiana Music Educators State Convention, and, and we'd have guest, people guest conduct and read new music. And one year we did a Sousa Clinic with Keith Bryan with the staff band, and it was a good band. There were some really good players in, the, in that group. I, did, I don't know if you played in it. Yeah. Wasn't that fun? Yeah, it was great. So 23 years. 23 years. Yeah. And finally, it got to the point that the universities saw us as their cash cow, and they kept raising the price so much that it became unaffordable, number one. But the other thing is school calendars changed. And... A lot of schools started having their own camps because their summer programs got cut out. So it was time. And I had heart surgery that summer also. Well, and I, you mentioned your staff, and that includes your conductors, but your conductors were just uh, people you wouldn't expect to be doing a summer camp, I think, in some cases. Yeah, and for, for, the, for what we were paying them, it was it was amazing. I mean, we had conductors of the Marine Band, conductors of the Air Force Academy Band, uh, well, college band directors from all over. Well, and I think you tapped a resource that maybe wasn't tapped. Like our our dear friend Bruce Jilks has told me that you kept saying you should you should come do my camp, and he didn't really think that he would really enjoy that because yep. he, he never worked with that. Consistently, at least yeah. that age of kid. And then he talks about how that just opened up a whole area for him. And, of course, now he comes and works with kids all the time. But you, you kind of brought some people into working with kids that weren't maybe going to. So. Well, yeah, the relationships that were built within that, it was, it was like a, a family. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's go to another thing that you've brought people together and brought people in is your relationship with the military bands and specifically with Indianapolis and bringing so many. I don't know if you know how many you've brought in over the years. But I, I couldn't even begin to tell you. It's like asking a tour agent how many times they've been to Disney World, I think. You've just but brought I, so many in. I mean, the Army Field Band started it all because I just wrote a letter and my very first year of teaching, they sent out their jazz band, they, uh, um, what are they called? 
Which service? The, the, the Army Field Band's the, jazz band. The ambassadors? Yeah, jazz the jazz ambassadors. ambassadors. Yeah. They sent the jazz ambassadors to Wood High School. <laughs> wow. And I can remember hosting the University of Michigan band, symphonic band, at Manual High School when I was there. I hosted the University of Michigan Symphony Band at Lebanon High School when I was there with Bob Reynolds and at Southport High School. Um, and I hosted, I've hosted the Air Force Band, the Air Force Academy Band, the Navy Band, the Marine Band, the Army Band, the Army Field Band, the Coast Guard Band. And then in addition to that, you brought when I was at Perry the, the um, London Staff Band of the Salvation yeah. Army, which is probably the premier brass band in the world. No, oh, that was at Perry with me. Yeah, that, yeah. That and I also cool. hosted the Chicago Staff Band, and I've hosted the Melbourne, Australia Salvation Army Band Staff Band. Hmm. And so it was just something. Uh, this is an aside. I was called up for the draft for Vietnam, but I didn't pass the physical. I was a lot heavier in those days. I had high blood pressure and other issues because I wanted to, actually, I wanted to go in and become an One thing I could do would be to support the military to do these concerts in Indianapolis and uh, and also part of their recruiting thing, you know, and in right. They were like the highlight of the conference. They were, for sure. The Military bands. I, I wanted to mention Dale Harpum. Yep. So I know you had a, a special relationship with him, and I, a lot of people aren't aware of who he is now because of time passing. Yeah, he's and, been gone for over twenty-five years. What what would, what could you share with him, with us about him? Dale Harpum is the only person to ever conduct the Indiana All-State Band two years in a row because he became, uh, he became so highly thought of, respected, and loved. He was from Pleasant Lake, Indiana. Where's Pleasant Lake, Indiana? It's up by Angola. Okay. Um, his brother played trombone in the Marine Band. Dale wanted to play trombone in the Marine Band. He had, but he, but he found out that in, back in those days, if you played in the Marine Band and were a wind player, you also had to double on a string instrument because they had a full orchestra. And he played cello. He learned how to play cello. He actually had a five-string cello to make it easier on him. <laughs> but he, uh, he went into the Marine Band 1935 on his 18th birthday. It was the earliest he could go in. So the Marine Band in general or the Marine Band in D.C.? The Marine Band in D.C. Wow. At 18. 
yeah, uh, he became uh, assistant solo trombonist. Uh, he was given duties to, or he became sort of uh, an assist, assistant director. They didn't really have an assistant director back in those days. And uh, then he became, when they, Al Schoper became director and was director 17 years and Dale was his assistant. And Dale then took over the band when, when Schoper retired. Um, but Dale, uh, just first time I met him, he was director of the Marine Band and he was the guest conductor at Smith Walbridge Band Camp. And so then I asked him to come and guest conduct at Lebanon High School. And he did. And he and so he conducted there, had him for, uh, in 1976, the bicentennial year, had him do a big concert, gala concert. And of course, he wore his Marine Band uniform, and it was spectacular. And then uh, when I was at Southport, he guest conducted, I think, the first year. But he also guest conducted on my very last concert. So, but he was, he was one of these people when he walked into a room, he it was he was bigger than life. It was like everything stopped. I mean, he was he 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 just had a personality bigger than all outdoors, and a fine musician, and the kind of person you just would want to be around. And he did the uh, camp for nine years and developed cancer and didn't last much longer, but so, he did it every year. So kids loved him. Oh, kids loved him. Yeah. The, the staff loved him. Everybody loved him. I mean, he was, he was just bigger than life. I, I don't know any, a term to sum him up any better than that. And I mean, even when you see a picture of him, you just like, wow, I'd like to know that person. Well, you, you stay close to him. To the very end, I know you had you even had some of his Marine, I, Marine Band. I drove, items. I drove his widow in the car at Arlington Cemetery behind the Marine Band when he was buried. So that's pretty close. Yeah. Well, and you had you had a lot of uh, information about him, right? That you shared well, with the Marines. Well, okay. When he passed away, he had a house down in Martinsville on a lake. And no one had done anything with all of the stuff that was in the house. So I made, I, I can't tell you how many trips down there, packed stuff in boxes and, and brought it to my house. And then over the next umpteen years, I would haul it out to, to Washington, D.C. to the Marine Band. These and were now, like music now, things, not, yeah, like so like music and memorabilia from his oh, time. Oh, all kinds of stuff, pictures, memorabilia, programs, you name it. Because he was a pack rat, and he mm -hmm. kept, I think, every program he ever played in. There were 
personal letters to that he they, they had written to his mother when he was on tour his first year with the Marine Band. Huh. I mean, it was it was like a so the, in the library in at the Marine Band they have the Dale Harpum section with all the stuff that I had the I had taken him. Wow. That's great that you're able to kind of help save it and share it with people. A couple more questions about your career. These are kind of closing questions. You've mentioned several people that meant a lot to you. Is there any specific mentors or colleagues that you feel like had the most or largest impacts on you over the your career? Or someone I haven't asked about or just someone, anything? Well, I, uh, I just want to make sure I include the ones, well, obviously my high school band director, Mr. Britton. Ed Butler, Dr. Henze, and John Colbert. Uh, you know, and, and the people that I got to rub elbows with I, I would I would say I'm like third generation school band director. The first generation I would say would be like Ravelli and my high school band director's father and people like that. And then the second generation would be people like oh Harry Beejan and and and. I'm I'm sort of Ray Kramer's a little older than me, but I'm sort of of his generation, uh-huh. uh, and so because of that, I've been able to meet people that were in the very forefront of music education and the band movement happening, and get to know. I, I knew Ravelli actually pretty well because of my high school band director. Uh, I mean, I would go drive up to Michigan to concerts and go back at stage and talk to him after a concert. I remember this goes back to the Midwest Clinic, 1969. It was at the Sherman House, which was an old hotel then. It wasn't, it wasn't even at high school band. And my date was Mrs. Conducts high school band, and Mrs. Ravelli turns to me and says, not so hot. Yeah, it was, that the band wasn't as good as it, as it should have been. But yeah, I mean, it was spectacular to meet people like him and Mark Hinesley and Fred Ebbs and Harry Beejan and Fred Fennell and you know because we had Fred Fennell here at Butler that was quite quite an experience. It was, yeah. That that wasn't all that long before he passed away. I mean, he, I mean, he's one of those early legends. And that so. was a great day. That that was just a wonderful day that you guys hosted for him. Yep. Well, my last question about your career then is if you if we had a a time machine and you could just go pick pick one thing or mm-hmm. one series of things is there one you could you'd pick to go back and do again
Boy, that's an interesting question. What would I go back and do again? Fifth grade band through. Do what? Fifth grade band all the way through. Any any certain thing? Uh, maybe instead of becoming a administrator, maybe I would have should have gone up to get a doctor with Bob Reynolds at Michigan and become a college band director right away. College band directors now. Yeah, uh, that's the only thing. I don't think many people can say that. I, I mean, I never. Oh, boy, I don't want to do this. I, I mean, I, I enjoyed the kids I taught. going around to the schools and seeing the teachers and hearing what trying to be helpful when I was here at Butler uh, I enjoyed teaching the kids and I, and I enjoyed the faculty here I think for the most part they enjoyed me I enjoyed working with ISMA uh, you know I was pretty involved for a long time uh, doing marching contests and this and that and the other thing. So, cool. No, so there's not much I think I would change. All right, well that's good. That's a good answer. So the fourth quarter is a, a fun one and it's pretty quick and short. So um, this is where I just ask you questions about band things and you just give me yes or no answers. You pick one thing over the other, and for the sake of our conversation, you're deciding for our, the rest of us. You're getting to. Okay. make a final decision so what you what you say goes all right so i've asked this of everybody it's been fun to see the reactions alto clarinets gotta include them or let's move on and get rid of them let's move on and get rid of them i'll buy a basset horn <laughs> okay um, this is good for you as a tuba player um, no matter what we're playing no matter where we are you get to decide are our tubas in the center or on the conductor's right center center Tuning your band from the top or from the bottom? I prefer to tune from the top, but I know the bottom has become sort of the standard now. So, but I, I still go with the clarinet. All right. Um, which of these songs get to, gets to still exist after you answer? Barnum and Bailey's Favorites or Rolling Thunder? Rolling Thunder. Rolling Thunder. You've been told you're going to conduct the musical for the next season, and you get to pick between The Music Man and West Side Story. Music Man. Music Man. Pick a composer. Who gets to still exist? Persichetti or Hindemith? Persichetti. Okay. Plastic instruments. Secretly think they're sort of cool, or let's ban them forever. <laughs> let's ban them forever. Okay. I um, play on a garden hose. <laughs> Which song gets to still exist? Molly on the Shore or Children's March? Children's March. Children's March. Which is better? Holst's first suite or Holst's second suite? Second. Second? 
tuba player in you speaking out there. <laughs> okay, that's what I thought. I didn't hesitate, did I? <laughs> you didn't, you didn't. Um, tuning pitch forever for band, concert F or concert B flat? Both. <laughs> okay, I'll give you that one. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Dogs. If you have to get rid of one movement of Lincolnshire, which one would you get rid of? I don't know. I haven't done Lincolnshire in a long time. Um, what's the what, what's the second movement? Well, the movements in order are Lisbon, Horkstyle Grange, Rufford Park Poachers, The Brisk Young Sailor, Lord Melbourne, and The Lost Lady Found. Lord Melbourne. Melbourne, okay. And my last question for you. Which gets to still survive? Sleigh Ride or Russian Christmas Music? Which what say that one more time? Sleigh Ride. Uh, well, what was the question? Which which gets to still survive after our interview? Russian Christmas music. Okay. All right. Well, those are all my questions. Okay. Thank you for talking with me. It's fun. Cool. Brought back a lot of memories. That concludes today's episode of The Real Deal. A special thanks to Dr. Dan Boland for agreeing to talk with me today. The Real Deal is hosted by me, Rick Granlund. This episode was edited and mixed by Connor Granlund. Our theme song is March of the Steel Men, performed by the 2009 Isma State Concert Band Champions, the North Central Wind Ensemble. Thank you for taking time to listen to The Real Deal podcast today. Be sure to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at RealDealPodIN. And make sure to subscribe for more interviews coming soon.